All right, um, kids are dismissed for Children's Church, and uh, while they are exiting, if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, we're going to be closing out the book this morning. We've been in here since January, and next week, Pastor Lou will pick up 2 Peter and we'll begin that study. Um, but we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 9 um, till the end. Um, we're gonna we're gonna finish it up. So, all right, starting in verse nine, Peter says, "Resist him, that is the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ." will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you in all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together before we get started. Let's pray. Um, God, again, thank You for this opportunity uh, to bring Your Word and to uh, just declare the truth of Your Gospel. Um, I pray that the words I speak here uh, will not be anything of my own, but what You um, would have me to say. And Lord, I pray for that Your Spirit would work in my heart and the heart of everyone here, um, convicting us and... Uh, just bringing us to the point of realizing we need you um, and you alone. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I dive into this concluding part of the letter, uh, I want to give a Cliff Notes overview of, of the whole thing. The, to get from point A all the way now to the end of point B. Um, so I'm going to try and do it. I might lose some breath, but we're going to go, we're going to motor through the whole book of First Peter here in one page. Uh, so let's do it to it. Peter is writing to the elect exiles in the dispersion in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey as we studied. And he began the letter reminding them that they and we are born to a, a, to a living hope, an imperishable inheritance in Christ Jesus. And he, he called them to be holy, and he also reminded them that uh, they are stones being built up on the one and true living stone, and that is Jesus Christ. And he encourages them and he reminds them that they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His, that is God's own possession. And as a result, God is the ruler over all His people, and God has placed rulers and authorities in place on this earth in whom Believers in Christ are to submit to and to honor, as hard as that can be sometimes. Likewise, wives are to be subject to their husbands. Um, that was a fun one to listen to in the car, because uh, Katie got the shout out saying uh, she could call me Lord Ricky, which, um, of course, we honor as it did come from our lead pastor, so um, just kidding. <laughs> that does not happen at all. Uh, but we, wives are called to submit to their husbands, and, and, and husbands are called to um, love and honor their wives. 
And then Peter continued off that exhortation and he urged other believers um, to have a unity of mind, to have a sympathy, to have a brotherly love and a tender heart and a humble mind and to not repay evil for evil. Because suffering is coming. And it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil, Peter says. Telling them that we will suffer just as Christ also suffered once and for all for the sins of the world. Bringing us to God, making us alive in the Spirit. We are no longer to live the rest of our time on this earth in the flesh, and we're not supposed to live anymore for for human passions, but for the will of God. And when we live for the will of God, the world will be surprised, and Peter says they will malign you. But they too will have to give an account to the Father just as we will, which is why the Gospel needs to be preached. And Peter then reminds us that the end times are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of, of prayer. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another. Use your gifts for one another in order that in everything God may be glorified in Christ Jesus. And then he reminds him again, don't be surprised when fiery trial comes upon you, as Pastor Nathan brought that message. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, but rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may be glad when His glory is revealed. And then Peter takes and turns his attention to the elders in chapter 5, who he is also one of. He exhorts them to shepherd the flock of God as overseers, willingly, not under compulsion, not for personal gain, uh, but, but eagerly, not domineering over the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he says you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then he turns his attention back onto the younger folks, saying, you who are younger, be subject. There's that, that be subject again. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves in humility. And, and humility, as, as we, we studied last week, is humility is confidence properly placed it's not a it's not a weakness it's not just this being a a a mopey unconfident person but it's placing your confidence in the right place and that is in jesus christ and then peter tells them again to be to be sober-minded and be watchful for we have an adversary it's the devil and he prowls around like a roaring lion to devour you is what he says Resist him firm in your faith. And that brings us finally to... That was pretty good. That was pretty quick. Um, Brings us finally to the close of the letter where we're going to pick up this morning. And I'm going to look at this through uh, four different questions. And uh, I know I don't have any clever wordplay or um, five Ps or, or whatever, but it gets the job done. So first we're going to look at who is suffering um, and explore that uh, even a little bit further than we already have. Uh, How long will the suffering last? And then we're going to skip over 10b and 11 down to 12 and 14 and answer the question, well, how can that suffering be endured? And then what is the end result of all the suffering? So that's where we're going to be today. Let's just get right to question one. Who is suffering? 
Peter says in verse 9, Resist him, that is the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I, I think Peter's very purposeful in, in putting that, that reminder that this suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Because think about it, if, if you're hearing this letter or the one reading this letter to the, the church that's supposed to get to, like you get to this point and you're like, he said suffering so much in that letter. He said fiery trial. Like You might be a little like, why, why is this going to happen to me? Why is this going to happen? Uh, what did I do? And I think that's a question that happens a lot in the midst of trial and in the midst of suffering. It's, why me? Why is this going to happen to us? Well, Peter kind of answers that. And he says, stand firm in your faith. And then he gives the reassurance, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not going through it by yourself. You're not in this alone. I'm not just writing this to, to one person, but... If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, the world will hate you and you will suffer and you will have to endure persecution. But you're not going to do it alone. Stand firm in your faith. This is a global battle. Stand your ground. I mean, that's what Peter is saying. Jesus says in Matthew when he tells his disciples of the coming persecution um, that you will be hated for his name's sake and that a disciple is not above his master. In John 15, Christ says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I mean, needless to say, it's not like you follow Jesus to go out and just make a whole bunch of friends. Um, at least not according to that passage. Um, the gospel of Christ is, is countercultural. It's... It's, it's not me-focused as you know society would have us to believe. We try to just do the best to better ourselves, get the American dream, uh, but it's counterculture. It's, we do our best to give the glory to God. We, God brings out our best. We can't do it of ourselves. It's just a complete twist on, on everything that culture would have you to believe. And as a result, the world will, will hate... Um, followers of Jesus Christ, and they will persecute followers of Jesus Christ. Um, But Peter calls us to stand firm, because throughout the world there is persecution. Believers everywhere are going through it, and the only way we will endure it is by standing firm in our faith together, united, as a brotherhood. And and this is really why I love so much uh, that King's Chapel is, is a church of community groups, and, and that we're not just here on Sunday morning hearing a message and then we go out on our merry way and try to do our best to fight our own individual battles during the week. We, we meet together and we share burdens together and uh, we rejoice together, we endure trials together. I mean, when you're in community, you're getting into each other's lives. As we, I mean, as we call it here, we're living life together. And I haven't been in you know community group a, a super long time. I haven't even been here that long. Uh, but in the short time that I, I was in my first group and in the group now that I'm, I'm leading, you know, I, you, can bring, you can bring that, that trial that you're going through. And then you find out, well, other people, they're going through trials too. 
They're suffering too. It's not just me. I'm not in this alone. And it's really, it's really encouraging knowing you can go, you can, you can call someone in the community group and tell them what's going on, and they'll, you know, they'll pray with you. You know, it's just, it's how it's supposed to be. It's just, we're supposed to be in community. We're not going to be able to make it through this life and live on mission alone. You know, and that's the reassurance that, that Peter gives the recipients of this letter. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be painful. But you have a living hope in your eternal home and you're not enduring this alone. Your brothers and your sisters throughout the world are going through it too. You know, out in the, the foyer by the little green couch, I'm sure you guys have, have seen it, um, there's a coffee table with a bunch of magazines on it. And a lot of those magazines are Voice of the Martyrs magazines. And if you just flip through one of them, you're going to see just story upon story of fellow Christians and, and followers of Christ around the world being persecuted, being killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's happening around the world. We're not in this alone. It is a global fight. We have to endure it together. We're to stand firm in our faith. And it's like, well, that's well and good, but then the, the question arises, well, how long, how long will the suffering last? And Peter says, um, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of, of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, it's like a little while, that's a great word to see there. It's like a little while, that's not too bad. I can deal with a little while. What's a little while, like a year or two years, or three years, four years, five, six years? I don't know. And I believe Peter is purposefully um, vague in this description because the lifespan of each person is different than the other. And now you may be thinking, did he just say lifespan? Did he, is that what he said for a little while? Yeah, that's what I said. Peter's not talking about, you know, suffering will be like you have to make it through this one thing and then boom, we're on. You know, sometimes our whole lives, are going to, we're going to be spent suffering. If we're following Christ, if we're standing true to the gospel, it's not going to get to be easy. We're still going to have to endure through it, but God's going to be with us every step of the way, helping us to endure. And so you may be thinking like a little while, I mean, the whole life, that just doesn't seem like a little while. Well, I want to do an illustration. My community group peeps have, have seen this already because um, I had to show the video of my guy Francis Chan doing it. Anyone who talks to me long enough knows I love him. Um, he did it with a rope. I had an extension cord here. <laughs> but it gets the point across. Um, if you look at this, this extension cord and you have this old the orange part and then you have this little white part. I mean, think of this little white part as our time on earth from birth. You get birthed at the prongs of the plug. Um, and, then, and then you die at this little white part of the plug. If this is our lifespan, and then this is the rest of eternity that we have to live, well, now our life seems like a little while. Right? I mean... So if we, if we think about it, you know, 
However, however long we live, God chooses to take people home when He chooses. I, that's a little while compared to the rest of all eternity. And, and, and Peter's saying, just endure for this amount of time. Endure this so you can get to that at the end. To your eternal inheritance. To being in the glory of God. And, and so many of us, we get like this tunnel vision and all we can see is just this little white part. And it's so hard because, you know, it's like when you're walking and if you're just, you know, just looking at your feet. Like, I have, I have no idea how far away the door is. If I keep looking down like that, I'm probably going to walk into it. But if I keep my eye on the destination and I don't get sucked into just looking at the little, the little white part, I know, you know what, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's where I'm heading to. I'm not going to run off the stage and head towards the door. It's just, it's just an illustration. But uh, get this out of the way. Dave, don't trip when you come back up. <laughs> um, but it, what Peter does, see, in this letter, he widens the scope. He gets us off this tunnel vision. And he says, stand firm in your faith. You have a hope. It's a living hope. That one day you will be with Christ in His glory. And it's, it's only a little while. However long it is in this world, it's just a little while. So, and I know even though suffering, you know, it, it may be a little while by, by what the, the measurement is. There's, I mean, there's still the, the question of how can suffering be endured? How are we going to make it through this suffering in that little while. So as I said, I'm going to skip over the rest of 10 and 11. And I'm going to go down to verse 12 in the, in the following. Which says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Now before I attempt to answer the question that I, I threw up there, I want to take the opportunity and go through maybe some of the more informational, uh, contextual points that this part of the passage um, gives us. So we'll do that before we answer the question, how do we endure? And the first thing that I thought, and I'm sure a lot of you thought, like, who is Sylvanus? Like, he just popped out of nowhere, huh? Uh, what, who is he? What, why, what is he doing in the letter? He's saying, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, who is this? Well, you might better know him as Silas. Sylvanus and Silas are the same, the same person. Uh, Silas is his, his Jewish name. Sylvanus being his uh, more Roman uh, Latin-based name, and they're the same. They're the same person. And Silvanus was actually, or Silas. Silas is easier to say. I might just say Silas. Silas was a pivotal follower of Christ in the early church, and we see him first pop up in Acts 15. He's one of the messengers who delivers the letter from the council at Jerusalem to the Gentile believers, and. In Acts, Luke refers to him, along with Barsabbas, as leading men among brothers. That speaks a lot to Silas's character. And he also accompanied Paul for much of his second missionary journey. 
Uh, I mean, he was thrown in prison with Paul in Philippi. Um, he got run out of town at Thessalonica. And then he ended up staying back with Timothy uh, when the angry, angry Thessal- Thessalonians came up to Berea. So, I mean, he knew a thing or two about persecution also. Um, but, and, but Peter he still gives him this accommodation, not that he shouldn't, um, a faithful brother as I regard him, speaking to the, the character of him. But the question that typically arises with, with Silvanus is, you know, what is his role with this letter? What does Peter mean when he says, by Silvanus? And that's where the confusion comes up, and that's where there's a, a couple different frames of thought on, on what he did with the letter. The first being that he was just the messenger who brought the letter from point A to point B, C, D, and E and the other churches in the, the dispersion. Or he was what every commentator said, he was an amanuensis. And I'm like, why do you need to use that word? Just like say like secretary or like a dictator. Um, but that's, that's what it is, is. He's either the messenger or he kind of dictated for Peter or some even said he was both. And the reason they get the messenger part is this phrasing here, by, could also be thought of as by way of. Meaning that the letter has come to the recipient by way of Silvanus, my messenger. And also they, they believe that because Silvanus was also a messenger, as I said, from the letter that was written at the Jerusalem Council to the, to the Gentiles. And uh, he also played that role in some of Paul's letters. And uh, this accommodation as a faithful brother as I regard him uh, is common to write for the person delivering the letter in that time. It was just a common phrasing that was used for that. So that's where people get, oh, well, he was just a messenger. But then there's the argument for, well, he was, he was actually the secretary dictating what, what Peter said. And that's because the by Sylvanus can now be taken by some people as by hand of. Um, the reason for this is because of some higher levels of Greek that were used in the text that people thought, well, this wouldn't necessarily be Peter because in Acts 4, they, Peter and John are both referred to as uneducated um, and common men. So how would an everyday common fisherman write in such a way? Um, so, you know, and there's some stylistic differences between First Peter and Second Peter as we will see, which gives some indication that they were perhaps penned by different people. And that's, that's both sides, messenger, secretary. I fall under the um, really easy camp of, I just don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I don't see it being crystal clear from the text. It doesn't have any um, effect on my salvation, uh, the gospel being preached. It's, so I'm okay with saying, I don't know. He could have been both. He could have been one. He could have been the other. You know, he, he was helpful. He was a helpful, faithful brother as Peter regarded him. You know, both, both camps have really educated people smarter than I am uh, with really good arguments. I just lean on the fact that, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And this book's a part of that. And it's certainly valid. So whatever Sylvanus' role was, um, you know, I'll throw him up a big thanks for what he did. And he'll um, just move forward from there. That's who, that's who he is. The second thing that raises 
a question of what, what, is, what is Peter talking about here is she who is in Babylon and, and who, is, who is Mark? Like, is Mark actually his son? Is the she in Babylon Peter's wife? Well, in everything that I read and everything that I studied, and as we even went over when the book was introduced, Peter is actually writing this book from Rome. He's, he's in Rome, so when he says she who is in Babylon, he, he's actually using Babylon to mean Rome. It was common in the day. Um, the, by this point, the actual ancient city of Babylon, which we read of in the Old Testament, pretty small. It's not a powerhouse anymore. It's, there's no record of Peter and Mark both being in Babylon. So when he says, I'm she who is in Babylon, the she is the church. Babylon is Rome. So the church in Rome um, sends you greetings. That's, that's, what, that's what Babylon is. At first I was like confused. I'm like, Babylon? Like, whoa. No, it's, it's just Rome. Uh, I don't know I don't know exactly know why. It's because maybe Rome was the cultural epicenter, um, just as Babylon used to be. Uh, all kinds of things like that. But he was in Rome. Um, that's that's what that that means. And then also, you know, she being the church because he wrote, "Who is likewise chosen?" Well, he's writing to a bunch of churches, telling them that they are chosen, they have been called by God. So he's just saying, she, the church, who is also chosen, just like all of you, um, says hello. And so does Mark, my son, who's not really his son, but his son in the faith, his son in Christ. Mark is actually, you know, like the Mark who wrote the gospel according to Mark. That's who Mark is. Um, he's a, a he's a fellow brother in the gospel working to to spread the good news of Jesus uh that's that's mark so church in rome brother mark um peter's super clear on on that <laughs> i guess they would have understood it um takes a little work for myself and the last informational piece is is the fun one that was like oh sweet i get this one Greet one another with the kiss of love. Um, it's not, it's a cultural phrase. It's, you know, I'm not going to conclude my sermon with, and now turn to your neighbor and <laughs> give him a smooch. Um, <laughs> and no one after the service, don't come give me a kiss of love. Unless, <laughs> unless you're Katie and then, and then that's cool. Because uh, we're, you know. I got the ring on my finger, um, but it's it's a it's a cultural phrase of the time. Like that was a normal thing to do. Uh, even even looking at, at Judas, he he gave the sign that he was going to betray Christ and who they should arrest. He said it's going to be the one who I give the kiss to. And the soldiers were like, "Whoa, why? Why are you doing that?" No, it was normal. They weren't they weren't thinking. Well, Judas is a little weird, but we'll let him do what he needs to do. Um, no, it was a normal, it was a greeting. It was kind of like, like, you know, just the, the bro hug that we have now when you, you bring it in and it's, you make it tight. It's, it's that kind of, it's a normal cultural greeting. Wayne Grudem says, and he says it better than me, so that's why I just, you know, I'm going to quote him. It's much harder to get mad at someone when you just have um, hugged or kissed them. 
It's much easier to feel accepted in a fellowship which has given you such a warm welcome. And he continues to say, you know, giving each other a handshake all around is just far too distant and and formal. Probably a holy hug would um, come much closer to fulfilling Peter's intention. And it should be a genuine expression of love in Christ. So whatever this kiss of love would mean for today, it would be a greeting that's that's not cold and and distant, as he said, but a a greeting that's like, you know, I love you in, in Christ. I, as a brother, as a sister, like we're in this together. It's it's affectionate, but not like too affectionate. Um, and I think you all know what I mean, because there's 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 that kind of of nice greetings around here, for sure. Um, so that's that's the informational pieces I want to get through. Now we can go looking at the application of answering the question: How do we endure suffering? So Peter says in verse 12, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring. Exhorting meaning he has strongly encouraged, um, almost commanded them to do certain things. You know, he told them, hold fast to your eternal hope. Love one another. Submit to the authorities. Humble yourselves. All these are exhortations. He's, he has exhorted um, and he has declared, uh, or as some translations put it, testifying. Which, which is, means bearing witness to. He, he, he is exhorting, he is bearing witness that this is the true grace of God, he says here in verse 12. And what Peter is saying is that these commands that I have given to you, these things that I bear witness to, are the true grace of God. The lifestyle that I laid out for you in this letter is marked by a life Submitting to the true grace of God, a life marked by the grace of God present in, in, in your life. It's by grace that you have been given eternal life through Christ Jesus, and you have an eternal inheritance. It's by grace that you have been able, that you are able to submit to the authorities over you, and it's by grace that you will treat one another in love. It is by grace that you will be able to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, as he puts it. Mighty hand of God. And it is by grace that you are receiving this letter, declaring the suffering that is happening to your brothers and sisters around the world and the suffering that, yes, is coming for you. That is the true grace of God. So, so really, you know, to answer the question, how do we endure suffering, Peter puts it very simple. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. You know, the true grace of God that was preached to you in this letter, the gospel in which you have already heard and what you believe, stand firm in it. That's how you will make it through this. And what what Peter is saying, when times get tough, and believe me, times are going to get tough, take refuge in the fact that you are elect exiles, that this world that you live in now is not your eternal home. You have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. Stand firm in it. When the tyrants and the government, they come down on you and they kill you, remember, this is not your home. Honor them. Stand firm in the truth. When the devil comes for you like a prowling lion, resist him by standing firm in your faith. That's how we're going to endure through it, by standing firm on the foundation that is God's Word, that is His truth. 
that his, is His grace. I know there are, are, are hurting people here in this place this morning. Stand firm in the truth, I encourage you. Stand firm in, in your identity in Christ and in the Gospel that you have been made new, that, that you're not living this life for the purpose of just making it through, but you are looking forward to your eternal destiny in heaven. Stand firm in it. You know, some, some people get fed of a false gospel that when suffering and trials come, they crumble because, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to be hard. I came to Christ. I follow Christ. So, isn't this supposed to be easy? No, unfortunately, that's just not the gospel that Jesus Himself preached when He told His followers, you will be hated. You know, and that, that gospel is getting preached more and more and people have this understanding that once you come to Christ, everything's going to be rainbows and cotton candy. And frankly, it just can't be. Um, that's not what Scripture teaches. And we can look to Jesus and we can see that Jesus had to endure suffering. When times got tough for Jesus and He's up on the cross, He didn't pull Himself down and go, you know what, I don't need this. No, He endured it. He went to death for the sins of the world, and He rose again victorious. Jesus endured the suffering because He, he knew He was going to go through it, but He stood firm in, in God's will and God's plan and the truth that He knew, um, and He knew He was doing it for the glory of His Father. He stood firm. He endured it. Paul says in Philippians, "...and being found in human form..." He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But that's not the end. He then says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are to stand in the truth of the gospel, in the truth that Peter has spoken in this letter, so that we can endure the suffering now for a little while, knowing that the prize of our inheritance through Christ in heaven is in front of us. That's how we're going to make it through it, by standing firm. What is the end result of that? After we endure, what is the end result? And I want to take it back to the second half of verse 10. And Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I mean, Peter puts it so well, I don't even need to like say anything on that. I'm going to, um, but I mean, to God be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The glory for enduring our suffering is not our glory, but it's God's glory. It is the God who is the God of all grace. It is God who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. It is God who will personally restore, confirm, strengthen and establish us. And it is God who has the dominion forever and ever. 
God who created us is also the one who is with us every step of the way through the suffering, through the persecution, preparing us for the end result of joining Him in His eternal glory. Our God is not a passive God just sitting back to enjoy the show, but He's an active God working in our very lives, sanctifying us, conforming us more and more to the image and likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Trip Lee, uh, a friend of mine from, from school and uh, super, just super talented um, Christian hip-hop artist, uh, tweeted, tweeted this the other day on, on Twitter. Um, who would have thought that sermon illustrations would start coming from Twitter? Um, and he said this, Note to self, trials in my life do not mean God has forgotten about me. They're evidence that he's working on me. I'm going to say that again. I mean, Twitter, 140 characters or less. He says this, and I'm just like, wow, that's perfect. That's, I mean, that's so true. Note to self, trials in my life do not mean that God has forgotten about me, but that He is working on me. That's, I mean, God's working in our suffering. Peter gives us four verbs which describe the work of God that He will do Himself to those who are in Christ. And, you know, each of these four words that He uses, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, they, they each have their own individual meanings, and we're going to look at that. But we don't want to get so focused on each individual one, because they do really, they do work together um, for, for one greater message that T.R. Schreiner puts it so well. He says, The God who has called believers to eternal glory will strengthen and fortify them so that they are able to endure until the end. All these, these four words, they work together for this greater purpose that God is, is working in us and strengthening us so that we can endure until the end. So the first word here that Peter gives us is restore. And in the Greek, each one of these verbs are, are in the future tense meaning that these are things that are to come. They will happen. God will restore, will confirm, will strengthen, and will establish you. And though they're in the future tense, by definition, and by, by grammatically speaking, they also have very present implications and applications. So though each of these words are still to come, there's, there's something we're, we're, we're going through it right now as God's working in us in the midst of suffering. So restore means to be made complete. It means to mend. Um, a word commonly phrased or used when talking about mending a net, which would just be so perfect because Peter is the fisherman. Um, and again, th- this is, word is, is mostly used in its tense in regards to God, God's end work in, in taking our, our broken selves from this world and mending us and making us new in heaven and, and finishing His work in us. Um, but, I mean, think about it in our present day lives. As we're going through the suffering, as, as we're going through trials, and we spend time in God's Word, and we spend time in prayer, and we spend time in fellowship, we see the work of God mending our broken souls right now, little by little. Each little victory, just that little piece of the net being mended and put back together. So that in the end, God will finally 
have that are fully the net just completed. You catch as many fish as you want in it because there's no holes that are going to be in it. We will be fully restored. The second word is, is confirm, which means to, to stabilize, to be resolute. Uh, as the definition says, marked by determination. The word meaning that God Himself will confirm you in your faith. You will be more firm in attitude and belief. And, you know, I, when we're in heaven, I believe, like, we're not going to, it's not like we're going to be up there questioning anything. We are going to be confirmed. We are going to be firmed in our faith. We're going to be looking Christ face to face. And His glory will be fully revealed. Our surety in the gospel will be firm. We will have no more questioning. I mean, it's going to be right there in front of us. We will be confirmed. And, and we see it in our daily lives here. At little by little, God is revealing Himself to us more and more in His Word, through His people. Uh, we're getting glimpses and glimpses of, of, of Christ and, and what's to come. We, we get that every day. Again, happening now, but pointing to the future where it will be made complete and perfect. The next word, strengthen. What's interesting about this word in the Greek, and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Um, it's not beneficial to me or, or probably to you. But what we can know is the word that is used, this is the only place in the Greek that we see this one word used. Um, and what the, what the word means is what it says, strengthen, to be made strong. In the end, we will be fully strengthened. You know, in this life, as, as much as we want to think that, that we're strong and we can, we can do it, no, we're really weak. We're weak and we need to be strengthened. You know, sometimes we think we can put it on our boots and our Bob the Builder hat and we go out there and we go, we can build it! And then, like, slowly we find out, no, we can't. Um, because aside from God, it's not going to happen. We can't do it on our own. We just crash and we burn. And that's why we need God working in us, building us up, strengthening us. Only God can make us strong. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our strength in this life comes not from ourselves, but from the grace of God. James says that trials produce endurance. And though it's not the exact same word, it's the same concept. Suffering and trials, they build you up. God makes you stronger, enabling you to endure. In high school, I played, I played basketball. And I'm sure some of you guys have heard of suicides. Um, they're not called that by mistake. It's, <laughs> I haven't done any in a while, as you can tell. Um, but the, the basketball court gets divided into like four sections, the foul line, half court, foul line, full court. And, and you have to run short back, longer back, longer back, full court back. And then you never just do one of them. You do them over and over again. Until you want to throw up and just quit the team and go, I've had enough. I want to play video games or something. 
But then you finally, you make it to the, to the games. And, and you're finding that, I can make it a quarter, two quarters, three quarters. I have to be in the whole game. That wasn't me. I had to come out. I needed a breather. <laughs> I can only do so many suicides. I wasn't staying in the entire game. But you can endure through the game because of those little, that didn't seem little, but the suicides that you ran to strengthen you. You didn't see it at the time, but when you got to the end result, you saw the work that was being done. You don't see God's hand always in the midst of suffering and trial, but when you're out of it and you can see, wow, what God has brought me to, what God has brought me through, God will make us strong. And the last word, establish. Finally, we reach establish, which means to set firmly. Our living hope, as I've said throughout this entire thing, our eternal inheritance, though it seems so far off in this life, it finally comes to its full fruition as we are firmly set into our eternal home in heaven. He will establish us in heaven. And and in this life, the present application is that we can take joy that our outcome is secure in Christ. We can take joy in that. We can have peace in that. And after all the suffering is complete and we've completed the race, to use Paul's analogy, you know, we will cross that finish line into God's eternal glory and we'll finally experience the inheritance which we were promised in Christ Jesus. That doesn't bring you joy. I, don't, I mean, I don't know what, what you're going to get to that will. I mean, we have any, a secure eternal inheritance in Christ Jesus. If you, are, if you are a follower and a believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're set. I mean, you are secure in Him. What a peace that brings. I love the picture painted for us in the book of Revelation. John writes, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. I'm looking forward to that day. It's at the end of the road, just a little while we need to endure to get to the end of the road there. And appropriately, Peter concludes this portion of the letter with this doxology. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. After proclaiming the work that God is doing and the work that God will do, what else can be said? To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
an echo of the doxology that he gave in chapter 4, verse 11, where he not only gives him the, the dominion, um, but he says to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. In the end, the glory and the dominion do not, do not belong to Satan, but to God. The glory and the dominion do not belong to us or to man or any other person, but to God. God is sovereign over it all. God is in control of, of all our suffering. That's not to say that God is the author of evil or God is the author of sin, but rather God is the sovereign ruler who does permit it to happen. And the way that God shows His true might and His true power and His true awesomeness is that by taking that and working through it for His purposes, achieving His will through that. And He, you know, he displays that so great that, that you know, He can take a, a scheme of Satan that is put in place to dishonor Him and use it for His purposes. I just think of Joseph and his brothers as he's left to die. And after the whole, we just went through it in Genesis, if you want to check it out, you know, our website, kingschapel.net, shameless plug there. As, as he's left for dead, he then says at the end to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God took the situation, He took the suffering, He took the trial, He used it for His purpose, making Himself glorious in the midst of suffering. The, way, the same way God, he, he chose to put the ultimate end to sin and death through the ultimate suffering. God sent His only Son, Jesus, into this world to die for our sins. And the only way to end the suffering was with suffering. Jesus Christ was put to death, a gruesome death on the cross, killed at the hands of sinners, but in the end rose from the grave victorious. He conquered sin and death. God permitted His Son to suffer, but in the end working through it so that He would be glorified, we would be redeemed and brought back to Him, making Himself absolutely glorious to him be the dominion forever and ever amen in daniel king nebuchadnezzar says and for, for if you remember king nebuchadnezzar i mean he was he was a narcissist like like the best of them he had the statue built for himself and he wanted everyone to bow down to it but in his last days he says this at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Peter doesn't question why the suffering has happened. Peter doesn't look at God and say, what have you done? But rather, Peter rejoices in God's might. And he rejoices in God's authority. And he proclaims, to him be dominion forever and ever. Like we just sang this morning, in the midst of suffering, we can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And the very last thing that Peter says in this letter, he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. That peace comes from from understanding and from, from being rest assured that God is in control of it all. And that we are secure. And that we, if we stand firm in the truth that God has given us, we will endure. We will have a, a peace that surpasses all of our understanding. Peter prays for them, peace to all of you who are in Christ. What a, what a fitting way to end this letter. And it, one of my favorite verses is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, which just... It does bring a peace. And this is Paul, and he writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God is in control of all the circumstances. He possesses all the dominion. Not partially, not some of it, all of it. So though we may be in the midst of trial, we may be in the midst of pain and suffering and hardship, we can be assured that God will use that for our good. He will use it for His glory. And in the end, we will be with Him forever and ever. I'm going to invite the band to come up here as I close with a portion from Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He then not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that who Raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake you are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Stand firm in it. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word and for Your servant Peter and and what he has given to us that is Your true grace in this letter. May we take refuge in the fact that You are 
mighty God in control of everything in this world. May we have the peace knowing that we are secure in You and that You have the dominion forever and ever. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, whose name is above every name. Amen.